Fox and Fallon starting out with a bang. A huge bang. A big, big. Bada-boom. Big bada-boom. We don't usually get this on our Thursday records, but Courtney, I've got breaking news for you. Um, I don't want to hear it. No, I'm going to lay it. I don't want to hear it. I'm ready to lay it on you, Courtney. Please don't. Russell Westbrook. No. Of the Oklahoma City Thunder. No! Was just traded. No, God, no! (laughs) No! No! To... No! The Houston Rockets. Oh, my God. No! I, we're doing this rundown for the show, and I we wanted to do some NBA and some NFL, and I'm like, Tanya, we got to include just, like, a little bit on the Miami Heat. We want to include a little, like, a little Celtics one-liner, maybe 30 seconds. And yeah. I said, I convinced you. It took me maybe, like, five minutes to yeah. convince you that I wanted to include... Jimmy Butler, and now we're just not going to talk about it in that segment. No. Jimmy Jimmy Butler going to the Heat and Dwayne Wade giving him a, like a little, hey, dog, welcome to Miami. There is no way in hell you're taking my number. Stay very far away from my locker. And you were very optimistic that Jimmy Butler was going to get a nice, fun, shady little, you know, duo with Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook was in talks to join the Heat, and I said, man, this would be so great. I mean, a lot of people, if you heard the podcast, you know that I had my Celtics green shaked, shaked the shit out of me when I moved down there. And a producer was like, don't ever talk about the Celtics ever again. So Absolutely. full heat all the time. And I said, you know what? This is one thing that's going to. She thought it was happening. Just, it's just, it's just going to make them relevant again. And it seemed warm and Russell was in. And then when we were, uh, God damn it, we're so late on this. And all of a sudden I get the report on my phone. And, uh, and this is what I said. No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 No, that's an actual, like, replay of what happened directly in front of me while we were preparing for this podcast. No, screams. I like Full-on screams. And I have to be honest, I don't have, I have no, like, personal relationship to the Heat, but I will say, I also feel a little disappointed by this move purely because I do think this is like this it's a weird shittier remix of like the 2011-2012 Oklahoma City Thunder like you have everybody I'm sure by now has talked a thousand times about the fact that Russell Westbrook and James Harden have played together like the Oklahoma City Thunder had James Harden yeah they had James Harden Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant lost Kevin Durant and then they still traded, couldn't figure it out. Then traded Russell Westbrook to the team that that James Harden went to. Like that is an absolute embarrassment. Well, but the, then there's the fact that obviously part of this trade is that they get Chris Paul, old ass Chris Paul. Well, Chris Paul and James Harden were not. They were no, butting they heads hardcore. No, they were not working out. That was like a mu- must needed, must needed trade. Certainly, and and now they have 15 first round draft picks until 2026. Un. Believable. 15. So basically the future of their franchise hinges upon the f- idea that they are going to get some excellent talent out of the college NCAA realm. Of course. That's not exactly the blueprint for how people have been building the talent and the NBA championship pedigree in the last couple of years. However, that is so many opportunities. All you have to do is hit once or twice in the next six to seven years, and you're golden. Can I tell you who's going to come out of the draft pick in the next six, seven years? Sure. Do you follow Overtime on Instagram? No. 
This is the high school basketball account that basically glorifies all of these young kids. You have you have Zaire Wade, Little LeBron, Kenyon Martin Jr., Sharif O'Neal, Shakir O'Neal. You have I, I, what I'm really amazed at about the NBA and what gives me faith that I will love the NBA in a few years is that like every superstar we grew up watching has these young studs. And I mean, they are like super good to the fact that like they have a million followers on Instagram, the followings and, and the social media out boom of these young players that are 15, 16, 17 years old. And some of the names that I just mentioned are going to be absolute superstars. And I kind of like, as I just thought of this as you were talking, is that, you know, yeah, they're banking on the next eight years. The next eight years, there are going to be kids that are more athletic, faster, bigger, stronger. So Sam Presti, as hard as it might have been to trade away Paul George to the Clippers and the Russell Westbrook soon after, he's got a plan in place. And if he has 15 goddamn first round draft picks over the next eight years, he's got something going. Yeah, I mean, you have to assume that one of or two of those are going to hit. And what you just said resonates with me a bit because... These kids we, are so goddamn good. Well, and also we know that LeBron's ultimate dream is to play with his son. He, he wants to play long enough to play with Bronny. So if the Thunder have the right pick in the right year to coincide with Bronny, there's who's to rule out that LeBron closes out his career in Oklahoma City with Bronny? Like there are opportunities in the mix. I mean, here, I right? wouldn't put it past him. Right, honestly. exactly. So is it I mean, I don't love it for the future, immediate future, and I'm sure nobody does. I'm so we, yeah, but who cares about that? The yeah, Thunder no, are completely not, irrelevant in the next. We're not few basketball, years. you know, gurus, gurus at all. However, there is something to be said for accumulating. First of all, Paul George wasn't worth nearly the number of first round draft picks they got from the Clippers. No, that was something that they were like, "Listen, if you're, we're going to give up this guy who we just signed." then you're going to pay a premium. And Kawhi yeah. was like, you guys are paying it. And the Clippers were like, perfect, that's cool, because yeah. we're going to try to get a ring in the next one to two years. And they also have right. the supporting cast, which moves into our yes, next topic, exactly. kind of a Kawhi and the Clippers. Right. And so, you know, that they got a haul for two players who Russell Westbrook's on the back end of his physical prime, and Paul George was not going to be able to do it on his own. So perfect. I do really admire what they pulled off. That exactly like you said, sends us into what the Clippers did to get Kawhi and Kawhi being with the Clippers. Now here in LA, the big narrative is the Clippers-Lakers rivalry and how the Lakers fans specifically are reacting to this trade because there's a lot of big brother jealousy happening. I'm just going to come out with this hot take right off the bat. Lakers fans need to wipe the tears from their eyes and get a clean change of diapers because they made a goddamn fool of themselves. Not only just boasting and believing that everything was going to happen and work their way, aligning this super team of Anthony Davis, LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard. We knew that he was going to go L.A. He was kind of cleaning that way. Brian Kobrowski, who was on our show a couple of episodes ago, had kind of alluded to the fact that it was two over one. It was a comfortable situation in Los Angeles. He wanted to go back home. He had a close enough circle around him that it wasn't going to bother him so much to be in the number two market in the country. That the glitz and the glamour of everyone trying to, to feed and fish a quote out of him or to put him in the limelight 
was not really going to affect him because he had that protective circle around him that wasn't going to affect him. That being said, the Lakers really went off the bat with their boasting their showboating. And although Magic Johnson still doesn't work for the Lakers anymore, they took a page out of Magic's showboating Showtime Lakers, like putting up murals in Venice, Kawhi to LA, he's coming. They're like painting him in the glorification of this city and he doesn't show up and they're fucking crying. And Lakers Twitter was an absolute shit show and it was laughable and it was funny to watch because they were just sitting on their sitting on their ass and putting their hands between their legs because they could not believe that this team that actually was better than them from last year. The Lakers have not done anything since 2010. This Clippers team is going to be better than the Lakers for five years to come, mark my words. Yeah, and I think that that is exactly what's driving the Lakers nuts, is that Lakers themselves, the Lakers fans, is that it always made more sense for Kawhi to go to the Clippers. Yep, it always That's the number one thing that came out of the reporting, the only thing that people were getting right from start to finish was that Kawhi didn't want noise. He did. He wanted privacy while he made his decision. Yep. Now, the Lakers were loud. The Raptors were loud. And no one heard a goddamn word from the Clippers. And everybody thought that that meant they were out. And all that meant was that they were doing exactly what the superstar they were trying to lure in wanted them to do. Absolutely. Now, they have the better GM. They have the better coach. They have the better supporting cast. And he got them to give up their entire immediate future to bring in his number two. They played this so perfectly that the Lakers behind the scenes, if they aren't completely losing their minds, if they're not rearranging their entire identities, if they are not going to mediums and fucking psychics and whoever they can find to realign their entire chi, then they're fucking insane because they blew this so hard. Unless LeBron and AD are the greatest duo since Jordan and Pippen, it's over for the Lakers. Because like you said, we're talking about if Kawhi does well with Paul George in, in LA with the Clippers, this is another four to five years. That means that we get into 2024 that's a long time for the Lakers to be bad, longer than they've ever been bad. And you remember LeBron is a free agent or has an option in 2021. That 2021 free agency class is going to be a doozy. And the funniest thing, and I'll finish on this, was as I was getting my nails done the other day and I peer up at the ESPN ticker and it says, Boogie Cousins believes he can play 82 games for the Lakers this season. If you're literally having your show consumed about what Boogie Cousins is going to do and whether, who was the other guy that was going to come out of retirement? Uh, Andre Iguodala? Yeah. Okay. And whether Andre Iguodala is going to come out of retirement, they're literally picking up dudes out of the fucking Drew League to come and play. And they're putting all of their marbles in Boogie Cousins' basket to send them to an NBA Finals? You're kidding yourselves. Okay, deep breaths here. Deep breaths. Let's do it together. Everybody, you know, everybody do it with us right now. Um, there was a really funny moment, speaking of that, on the um, around the NFL podcast. My friends, my old friends at the NFL Network. And I was listening to one of the pods. And at the end of the show, 
Um, Greg Rosenthal, who is a very incredibly smart. He's actually my favorite person on that pod because he just brings the heat. Oh, he all does the, the time. podcast with Anthony Jeselnik, right? He does the podcast with uh, Mark Sessler um, and Nick Kansas, and he does and that. that he does that. Also, does a podcast with, with the comedian Anthony Jeselnik. Um, like so I'm, close. I'm not yeah. sure, but yeah. anyways, he does, he's anyway, you know yeah. he was I forget was the NBC or whatever, but he's you know so he's at the end of the show. I'm listening, and um and he says, and now it's time. For a meditation. So they put the meditation music on. And he's like, and now rem- remind yourself that you're you're walking down to a beach. Really something you'd be listening to on like Headspace app or Calm or Insight Timer. And, and he's like, and then you're walking down the beach. And then he starts like just kind of like making a joke about. He he just started alluding the whole meditation to like a a sports spoof, and it was it was hysterical. But we won't ask you to take a woosah with us. But uh, we are all taking a collective woosah and moving on to the NFL, which Tanya, I can smell. Not what the Rock is cooking. I can smell that fresh cut grass, <laughs> regardless of my allergies. I I just the smell of fresh cut grass reminds me of my days as a young soccer player. Yes, um, absolutely. It, and it just there's something so nostalgic about a fresh caught grass in the middle of a hot summer day. And we don't actually get that in LA, so we have to we have to be hearkened back to it by news of a brand new NFL season <laughs> <Yes>. coming. <laughs> so the news of Melvin Gordon and his agent Fletcher Smith saying the Chargers running back wants a trade and if there is no deal, he will be holding out through the NFL regular season. So okay, we have our first Le'Veon Bell situation of the year. Which gets me excited because training camp is two weeks away. Yeah, absolutely. And today at Fox Sports 1, Marcellus Wiley said on air, he has from his credible sources that Melvin Gordon knows he has the option to get become the highest paid running back in the league from another team in the league right now. That's he joke. knows that that offer's on the table. Which you and I, I think we can both agree, is a little bit wild. Yep. I don't think either of us agrees that Melvin Gordon should be the highest paid running back in the league. No, not Um, by any shot. I mean, certainly Todd Gurley and what's going on with him and his knee right now and how important he was to that team and how much it affected them in the playoff run in the Super Bowl that he was not healthy. And then you look to Le'Veon Bell. I mean, we obviously both agree that he's going to have a great season with the Jets, but this is a guy we haven't seen play football in a while. Uh, That. Melvin Gordon's not on their level. No, and absolutely And not. neither of them are even in the best place right now to be paid as well as they are. He's no Ezekiel Elliott. Like, he doesn't carry that team the way that Zeke does in, in Dallas. You know, the idea that he would garner number one running back money in the league is pretty wild. Melvin Gordon, top five fantasy running back. Top eight to ten running back in the NFL. I'm not taking any credit away, but you have to remember, still, Phillip Rivers is the quarterback of that team. Anytime Philip Rivers has done well, he's had a steady running back. LaDainian Tomlinson. I mean, that's just a standard and X's and O's for anyone that knows football. You have to have a good ground game to set the pace and confuse the defense to, you know, question run or pass. That being said, I think everyone understands what we're saying. The other top running backs in the league, if you're talking about Melvin Gordon being the number one paid running back in the league, and you look at the other names in this league, it's not even a question. And I I will honestly, I'm going to go down this list, but then you're going to suddenly realize that there is no way that Melvin Gordon in his right mind, he will be holding out until next year if he thinks that he's going to be getting a top paid contract with the names I'm about to read. 
Saquon Barkley, Le'Veon Bell, as we mentioned, Ezekiel Elliott, Nick Chubb, arguably top three running back in the league, period. And definitely last and year. An, and he in was he fantasy. was a top three running back in the league last year. Royce Freeman of the Broncos. Don't count him out. I think he's going yeah. to have a fantastic I mean, he year. He could have a breakout year. Leonard Fournette, David Johnson, Christian McCaffrey, multi-purpose running back with the Panthers. Alvin Kamara. I hate to say it, but Kareem Hunt is going to get on the field at some point. Yeah. And Kareem Hunt is more valuable in fantasy points and on a football field than Melvin Gordon. Don't at me. But you can. Yeah, I mean, we don't know what he's going to be like when he's outside of the of the Kansas City system. But I I, I think I saw enough from him to know that he is a pretty special talent. Um, I don't necessarily agree with him being on the field. I don't either. Time, but, but all in how, all, but all really intents is paid about, perfect, right. You know, it's and that's the fact. of The matter is, if he's going to play, he's going to be a very good football player. Uh, I actually really like Melvin Gordon, and I think he's incredibly important to what the Chargers do. I don't think that he isn't owed a new contract. No, I don't He either. absolutely needs a new contract. I just, the question is, is he, should he be paid, should we continue to do this? Because we do it with quarterbacks. Every new quarterback that's up for a new contract sets the new record. It's Jimmy Garoppolo, whatever. They're saying, you know, Dak Prescott wants all this money. The fact of the matter is, the running back position, they hit a cliff at the age of 28 or 29, yep. and they go down. Melvin Gordon's 26 years old. He is got a couple good years in his prime, yep. and then it's a wild card from there. Is he a workhorse? Yes. Can he run and catch the ball? Yes. He's an incredible athlete, and he's on a team that came very close to making the AFC Championship game before they ran into a brick wall in New England, okay? So I don't think that he's he's not a dispensable player, but if you're looking at what – you look at the Patriots as an example of a team that takes really good running backs – not great, but really good, and turns them into championships year after year after year. And you think, do we really have to pay Melvin Gordon more than any other running back in the league while the Patriots are winning Super Bowls on a quarterback by committee and the Rams got absolutely screwed by Todd Gurley getting injured last year? What is the incentive at that point? Is he really worth that amount of money? And the answer, unfortunately, is no. No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 Couple Patriots in the news this week. Rob Gronkowski joking with Drew Brees saying, Hey, yeah, I might come back. Ha ha, he he. And they made a big article about it. We all know Rob Gronkowski is not going to come back. Maybe, I mean, listen, I'm not putting it past him if he comes back in a year and a half or two years, but there's no way he's coming back this season. I mean, I think he gets a kick out of joking about he it. He gets it. He like literally, like little schoolgirl, ha ha, the way, same way that he literally used to say 69 to me in the locker room. Well, Ha ha, 69, ha. If, if the man has a decent agent, they're telling him, hey, the Drew best Rosenhaus, thing, the best the agent best in the thing league. For, that can happen to your brand is for you to continue to make people think you might come back to football because it's the only thing keeping him in the headlines. Yeah, no. Otherwise, we move on from Rob, and I don't, you know, I don't think anybody wants to move on from Rob. So we're all, you know, we're all with him. However, there is a current Patriot who's still in the league. Yes. <laughs> And uh, he's always at the center of attention, Tom Brady. He beat his 40 time this week. That was a big deal. It was, yep. it was quite, a, quite a notable moment for him. 
beating his 40 time this week was a big moment for Alex Guerrero because big I mean listen it was a big moment for Alex Guerrero and a big moment for the TV12 brand a big moment for Giselle Bungeon who seems exceptionally attracted to her husband <laughs> on Instagram lately so you know everything's been going well for him but what else has he been doing up lately um so Mike Tannenbaum former Jets former Dolphins GM he was brought on ESPN's NFL Live and was asked by Dan Graziano, who was one of their insiders, who was more impressive in 2018. The two quarterbacks that had the showdown in the AFC Championship game. Was it Patrick Mahomes or was it Tom Brady? And his response was, listen, for me, it's Tom Brady. It's the dominance of, what, 13 straight AFC Championship games? Going through that entire AFC East as long as they have. Between the Jets and the Dolphins every year. And you know that you and I have heard this rhetoric so many goddamn times. Wow, is this going to be the year for Tom? Is this the cliff? Is he going to fall off? He's getting older. This has to be the year. This has to be the year. Tannenbaum continued by saying, it is absolutely remarkable that he has gotten better and better. He is so smart. He knows where he's going with the ball even before it's even snapped. It's so hard to get to him because he gets rid of the ball so quickly. And also, P.S., the Patriots have invested millions of dollars in that offensive line to keep it like a fortress so they don't touch him. And Dante Scarnecchia. And Dante Scarnecchia, who could make my grandmother, who was 95 when she passed away, he could make her the best offensive lineman all pro in the NFL. Um, It's really remarkable the way that he has gotten better at the last half of his career. He is literally in the late autumn of his career and he's continued to put things together. But now we have seen, proven, that he has gone back to the Super Bowl, unfortunately lost to the Eagles, but then came back after losing Julian Edelman for the first four games of the season with all of the questions of all of the internal people leaving and getting rid of every hot defensive player and them still coming. I mean, we could talk about this for weeks, Tom Brady is still the mainstay, and he has continued to get better and continue to drink from the fountain of youth. And I will say this, that Tom Brady will continue to get better for the next few years, and there will not be a cliff that he will fall off. And that's my hot take for the day. I think that, so Damian Woody was part of this conversation. Damian Woody, is he he still a Patriots hater? He predictably took Patrick Mahomes in this conversation. And I will say, Patrick Mahomes is the future of the NFL. Oh, but if you he's ask amazing. me one single human being in the league right now that is more important, there's not anybody more important than Patrick Mahomes. I think he's incredible. I find him to be so charismatic and charming and smart. He's just a really good football player, and he knows he can get better, and that's a good thing. He's not Aaron Rodgers. He doesn't think he's the best he could be right now. Yep. He thinks he can be better. He knows he can be better. And I believe in him a, a thousand percent. You're coming out. Hot takes left okay. and right, Tanya, today. However. Yes. In 2018, Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes both got to the same game. Yep. We watched them both. Yep. They were both incredible. Yep. One quarterback won the game. Yes. And one loss. And the fact of the matter is, there were mistakes Mahomes made in that game that were detrimental to his team. And the, they were the mistakes of youth. They were perhaps maybe a little bit of the Andy Reid clock mismanagement situation. He certainly suffers from that as well. There was a lot going on. But when you come out of that game and you look at who outperformed the other, Tom Brady outperformed 
Patrick Mahomes in the AFC Championship game at the age of 41. Yes. That is an unque- I don't- I have It's not unprecedented, spoken. of course. I haven't spoken to a single person who would argue with me on that, okay? So- to say that what, that Patrick Mahomes had a more impressive season because he threw more touchdowns or had more yards is a silly thing to say because we know we've seen this a thousand times. We've seen Matt Stafford, we've seen Matt Ryan, we've seen these guys who are incredible. Drew Brees, st- don't don't forget him. Well, and Drew Brees is is an exceptional future Hall of Fame first ballot talent. Yes, people who just put up numbers like it's their job and then fall flat on their asses when it counts. That is not greatness that is not that does not embody what we watched in the AFC championship game so as I would like to make it clear that I'm not being a homer you're being a little bit of a homer hey wait a second you just went on a great Tom Brady rant too I'm telling you I'm telling you Patrick Mahomes is the future of the league of course when you take two quarterbacks and one comes out of a game and that's the guy who goes on to wins the Super Bowl the question's over. All right. Argument done. I no, I I agree with you, and I think I I have flashbacks to Chris Collinsworth congratulating the Kansas City Chiefs on a remarkable season, um, and Andy Reid for everything that they have done, proving everyone wrong truly. Because I think that the I think that the the boulder and the elephant is still on Andy Reid's shoulders for years, and sure. it has been for years. And he finally brought in his talent, and they got rid of Alex Smith, and they picked the right guy. Yes, and. I, I really, there is no question. I agree with you wholeheartedly. And I was kind of joking about you being a homer, but I, 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 the precedent is set in the NFL that Patrick Mahomes is an unbelievably exceptional talent. He has to watch those sidearm throws. They are magical though. Those back arm throws. Everyone's worried about him breaking, ripping out of, yeah, the ripping out of socket. I mean, there's, you know, baseball player, all that being said, the future is bright yeah, in Kansas absolutely. City for that team. We might be sitting here in five years and saying Patrick Mahomes is having a prolific career just as Tom Brady did many years ago. Sure. Winning six Super Bowls, two and three, two times. Sure. Done. Done conversation. Hey, listen, if Patrick Mahomes ever wins three right, rings I, yeah. in four years twice, he's my guy. For sure. He will always still be my guy. Kermit the Frog voice and all. He's adorable. So the SPs were yesterday, and um, I think we can both agree that nothing really mattered at the ESPYs this year, going through those awards lists and who actually won. There was no one at that award show at the Microsoft Theater in downtown Los Angeles that mattered more than the U.S. women's national team. And that was the biggest story of the month, biggest story in the last few months. I would it's say got- it's probably the biggest sports story of 2019. I, I agree with you. And the awards and the applause and the words and the candor of every opinionated sports fan, opinionated or not, uh, feminists, non-feminists, um, international soccer fans, kind of had me going. I, you know, I was a former soccer player and I was always promised during high school that soccer was the future. And I never really believed it. And I mean, I always just knew the women's team was always superior to the men's team. And that, I think, is why soccer in the MLS failed about 10 years ago. That talent on that women's team, Brandi Chastain, Mia Hamm, made superstars. And the superstars that we saw on the field, and we see on the field, the Alex Morgans, the Rose Lavelles. Now, I have to say this before I get into this. I was not so excited, jumping out of my seat. I expect them to win. That is understated. They are the best in the world, and they are the best in the world by a landslide, okay? But here's how I compare 
in my like lesser excitement, Tanya, about, about the Women's World Cup, is suddenly I saw this quote about Serena Williams drawing up from her disqualification from the U.S. Open, playing against Naomi Osaka. She says, why is it that when a woman gets passionate, they're labeled emotional, crazy, and irrational? But when men do it, they're seen as passionate and strong. I think during the course of our conversation before this podcast, you relayed why it meant so much to you to think about Serena, and that's how we found our common ground. So when you think about tennis, when was the last time that we were excited about an American man, the way that we were excited about Serena and Venus, and now Coco Gauff over the last Wimbledon, her phenomenal run through the Wimbledon championship. 15-year-old. 15-year-old from, from, uh, you know, from Florida. Right. Okay. Um, And it got me thinking because I grew up on tennis. And, you know, the American presence in the game of tennis was always a failure, at least recently. You know, there was John McEnroe, of course. And then there was Andre Agassi and Pete Sampras. And they dominated the field. And it was both of those names forever. And then the Rafael Nadals, the Roger Federers came into the game. And it was suddenly a a change in the balance. And we thought Andy Roddick was our savior. We believed that Andy Roddick would be the next big Andre Agassi for American tennis. Uh, All credit to Andy Roddick. He won one Grand Slam. And it was at the U.S. Open. He did not have the dominance that many of his previous American correspondents did. And, you know... Since then, there was never there was never a presence. John Isner was was a six foot five player from Georgia was supposed to be great. He didn't pan out, and it really was at that time when we were just had this doubt in the game of tennis of like why are all the international players dominating us? What's wrong with our tennis programs? It was Venus and Serena, and people denied them attention. They denied their credibility. They said they would never be as good as the men. And then along came the pretty girls, the Maria Sharapovas, Anna Kornikovas, and they started making more money than Serena. And there was sort of this balance and this anger, much like this equal pay conversation that we are having, is that why is a player like Serena Williams, who has now won over 20 Grand Slams in her career, 24, I don't know, off the top of my head, why has this player made less money in the world of branding and marketing than a girl like Maria Sharapova, who has a minuscule amount of championships and dominance and wins on a tennis court, but she's beautiful. And she made, she made, at one point she made about 10 times as much money as Serena. And you know what? It was funny because this conversation went on for years, maybe five, six, seven years. And Serena made her pay for it. And I'd like to make the point that Serena Williams to me is a beautiful woman. Like she is beautiful, strong, and like her body is just solid and beautiful and athletic. Like she is a beautiful woman. She is not the look that people came up in the nineties and two thousands marketing. Well, and that's also, why she suffered. And well, also too, it was it was what she chose to dress on the tennis court. She has these sure. big, powerful, you know, big, powerful thighs. I'm not going to like try to sit here and have someone pick through this podcast and say I'm demonizing her because I'm not. She has these powerful, thick, large thighs and she would wear skirts and things that were low cut and people... And no one had ever seen an athlete No one had ever seen anything like it and she was ridiculous. As a culture, we are afraid of things we don't... We've never seen. So anyways, the, 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 the long and short of this conversation is that when we're talking about this whole equal pay with the men's and the women's soccer team, um... 
it suddenly dawned on me when I saw this quote from Serena on Instagram. It hit me. It threw me back to this conversation for six, seven, eight years of me being a passionate tennis fan and watching Serena and just thinking this narrative in my head, like, really, this isn't fair because of the way that she's dominating. And like, if anyone even to this day thinks that any one of the men outside of maybe the top five of Kay Nishikori or uh, Roger Federer or Rafael Nadal, Djokovic, Djokovic, Andy Murray, who's now retired. I mean, if you even think that you can kick her ass, you are joking. Right. You better believe that that 120 20 mile per hour serve is going to come straight at your face and hit you with an ace. Absolutely. And and she really did pave the way for what the US women's team is doing today, which is saying, "We are the best at what we do in this country. There is no one in America that plays soccer better than these 23 women." Yep. And there's no one in the world, there's no women in the world who play soccer better than these women as a team. Now, no disrespect to my girl Martha from Brazil. She's fucking amazing. But as a team, there there's no one who touches them. Sam Kerr, the Australian. No, She's I mean, Christine very good. Sinclair, there's, I'm talking about it as a team. Yes, no, I agree. I th- I'm agreeing no with you. There's no one who touches them. And that kind of dominance is so important because what it does is it gives women across the world across the country in other, it doesn't matter whether you're an athlete or you are in any sort of industry like we are, where we are outnumbered by men by a large margin. You know, when we were talking about this, I know that you have, you have a little bit of uh, sensitivity to the idea of feminism. Yes. Because sometimes it can come across as an, a, a caustic, it has a negative connotation to it that like, we're just trying to stand up for women and, I, and I just, excluding I, men. And I don't. We are not people who want to exclude men because we came up in this industry with wonderful men that we feel very uh, a lot of camaraderie with and who have been like our people. And we are in a very male-dominated industry, and that makes us very part a, a huge part of that community. However, these women are an, an anomaly. Yes. They are unquestionably the best at what they do. They are, there's no man in this country that plays soccer who can say, I I am better than Megan Rapinoe. Nope. I am better than Alex Morgan. It's not a thing. They can't do it. And that is so rare for us as women in society and specifically American society where we are taught to rise to our highest potential. It is so rare for us to have an example of women who are universally acknowledged as the peak of what they do. And they are bold and they are gay and they are black and they are straight and they are white and they are all the different colors, all the different sexualities. And they are also just the best. They are people who make us think while we're on Twitter in the morning, good luck, England. Have fun whining about your tea sipping because we're going to kick your ass. I wanted to inject that in my in- veins. Like, keep complaining. Seeing that headline. Like having a queen, motherfuckers, because you're about to get served. It's not happening for you. That kind of pride in women. Yes. Internationally is so rare. And you have to understand that there are women across the world, women who they've beaten women who they've embarrassed 
pe- women in Thailand who got their asses Oh, poor kicked, Thailand. Okay? Who say, these women are paving the way for us. They're important to them. They're yeah. important to everybody. They're important to every single girl who lost to them. Every, that, is the, that is the impact that they have. Look across the course of time that we have been alive, Corda, yeah. the last 30 years. How many times have we been able to say, the world agrees, the country agrees, men and women agree, these women are better than everyone who does this. And that is so important to me, and I have not felt this moved by a team in a really long time, and that's why. That was fantastic. That was beautiful. That was poetic. That was your soliloquy. Certainly. And that, that's a perfect way to end the show. And I will tell you, too, um, another thing that moved the country was that Nike women's ad um, that they said, I believe that we will win. And it was the Instagram ad that they posted out and it was reposted everywhere. You sat here before our podcast maybe two episodes ago. I auditioned for that voiceover. You I did. had a chance. And, um, and I put every passion to it. You watched me do it. I did. Um, and I really put a lot of fervor and fire. And I feel like I had the same energy and the same power in your words that you did. And kudos to whoever was the voiceover eventually that got it. But, I mean, I, just, I will just say that reading that text, it was empowering. It really was. And it absolutely was. It and was. Be- and before we go, I really honestly would like to say... We come from Massachusetts. My mom is from Weymouth, Massachusetts. Yes. And before we go, I think it's important that I recognize a couple of young ladies. Yes. These girls who have been um, honored in a really big way. So the Elks Lodge, which is a national organization, every year holds an Americanism essay contest. And uh, kids grades five and six and then seven and eight, they submit these 300-word essays on what it means to be an American. Yes. And it's a 4th of July thing. It's a really big deal. Both placed second place, Division One and Division Two, so grades 5 and 6 and grades 7 and 8, both finished second nationally. They, it's a huge deal. It you is know, a very big they deal. They have to win their regional thing and then go on, and they go through 70 or 80 people to wean down to the prize winners. And these girls, they are such a – they're such a huge inspiration – to young writers, mm-hmm. who you and I both were. Yep. And I'm really proud of them, and I want to shout them out. And so Isabel Cummings and Isabella Galusha are going to be honored um, on July 23rd by the Elks Club. And I encourage any local media in Boston to cover this. This is Please. a really big deal. These are young women who are they are working their way into being wordsmiths and sharing their passion with the world, and we're so proud of them. So please... Check them out. We're gonna we're gonna try to get them into the newspaper. They totally deserve it. And I just I you know it, it after all of this talk about how proud we are of the women. I'm also proud of the girls who are coming up. You and I both have some connections to local Boston media, and I think that after this podcast, we're gonna be sending some emails, absolutely, and some clips um, of of our promotion for these young girls from Weymouth, our proud hometown girls. Absolutely, um, we will be sending them out, and they will get their due. Thoughts and prayers also to David Ortiz, who had underwent his third surgery in Mass General Hospital for complications from that June 9th shooting in the Dominican Republic. We send all of our love to Big Poppy for a speedy recovery as he continues to recover from that gunshot wound uh, that nearly took his life. And also Teddy Bruschi, a personal hero of mine, personal hero of yours, personal hero to ESPN and the NFL Live family. Um, He suffered his second stroke on the morning of 4th of July 
Um, he just ran the Boston Marathon for stroke awareness. We wish him a speedy recovery. I, I believe that he is doing well. And also, too, uh, information for anyone who knows Albert Hainsworth, who was a long-staying defensive lineman, um, powerhouse in the NFL for many years. He played for the Titans for many years. He played for the Bucks. He also played for the Patriots for a year. Um, I actually got to spend some time with him in his retirement during the Heat Championship when I worked in Miami. He's a very, very nice guy. Very sweet, cordial. Um, he's undergoing kidney failure right now, severe kidney failure. And he posted a picture of him looking decrepit in a hospital bed. And it was just very scary and very sad to see. And, and they're sending out help and hope to someone who can donate a kidney um, on his behalf. Donate to kidney research. I Absolutely. mean, donate to, donate to cancer research. We just were talking about the ESPYs very briefly. I mean, Jimmy Valvano Foundation. I mean, I think this is the perfect time just to say be charitable because the dollars that you give – um, you know, the blessings comes back to you 10 times in return. Absolutely. And we don't always end on this much of a really serious note, but there's been a lot of health issues in the sports world. And we really want to make sure that everybody understands how much this means to us and how much we know it means to you. So we will continue to bring these up when we can and God bless everybody. And obviously we will be back with you as soon as we possibly can. Thank Next you for week. sticking with us. It has been a, quite a ride today. I mean, <laughs> it has been a lot. <laughs> We have put a lot on you people, and we appreciate you sticking with us. Yeah, this was a great podcast, though. We will see you next week. I know we, we promised a NFL preview. Um, there was just too much going on this week. But, you know, listen, again, two weeks until training camps. I'm going to be in New York um, in a couple of weeks. So I'm going to be checking out the, the Jets and the Giants training camps um, at some point. And then we have an invitation to the Chargers camp. Not soon long after I get back. So um, you guys be good. Stay healthy. Stay happy. Fox and Fallon, we're sending you out. Have a good day. Bye. See you later. People think you're calling in. People always think, they're like, oh, you guys do it in the same room? And I'm like, we're literally three feet apart and everybody always thinks that you're here and I'm calling in. Because I, because I sound further away. Well, listen, this is from years of broadcasting and from losing my hearing and yelling too loud and I speak from I, my diaphragm. I speak from I your diaphragm. I too can do my broadcasting voice. Courtney, tell me all about what Homan Hoha said on the sidelines. It's like, dude, that's not the fucking problem. I don't know. I don't know what it is. And also, Brian, who was on our show a couple weeks ago, he was like, oh, I can't even tell you and Courtney apart. Like, I get your voices confused. Oh, that's a joke. I was like, that's. No, no, I was like, he's listen no. to the person who sounds like they're in Beirut, because that's me. Like, what the fuck? <laughs>